hear God's word to us today from Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth, for, birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Thank you, Georgia. Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. It's a joy to be with you tonight. You can be seated. The Miracle Worker is a story of incredible resolve to overcome all obstacles in order to communicate. You may be familiar with The Miracle Worker. It's the story of Helen Keller, who at two years old contracted a disease that left her blind and deaf and mute. When she was seven years old, the Keller family invited a lady named Annie Sullivan to come and be Helen's teacher. Now the truth is that there was a long line of teachers that had tried to communicate and teach Helen Keller, and all of them had left. Annie Sullivan was committed to breaking into Helen's dark and silent world and teach her how to communicate. So she moved in with the Keller family. When Helen was seven years old into their Alabama home, Helen's brother James tried to convince Annie Sullivan to quit multiple times, telling her about all the teachers that had been there and left unable to communicate to Helen. Annie wouldn't hear of it. She was determined and persistent to teach and to reach Helen. Locked in a frightening and lonely world, can you imagine? Helen Keller, unable to hear and communicate, 
to receive communication from other people and to see and experience light. She mistook Annie's uh, persistence and willingness to continue to teach her. She mistook that as, as, some, sort of, um, as some sort of assault against her, as, as someone coming after her. She was lonely and afraid and scared of every move that Annie made. She misinterpreted her attempts to communicate and the result was a, a battle of the wills back and forth between one another. Annie pressed sign language. This is ingenious. She came up with a method of pressing sign language into Helen Keller's palms, signing words and and helping her to understand what they were. But Helen continued to resist, misinterpreting these signs. But Annie persisted with her communication and teaching. And finally, in a high moment of drama and tension, a breakthrough. And here's how it went. During a fevered exchange near the the home's water pump, Annie placed one of Helen's hands under the spout of flowing water. And in the other hand, she spelled out the word in sign language, just as she had taught her, water, W-A-T-E-R. Helen pulled back. Annie grabbed her hand, continued to spell the word water. Finally, Helen repeated back to her through sign language in Annie Sullivan's palm, water. Annie beamed. She lifted Helen's hand onto her own cheek and nodded vigorously. Yes, yes, water. Helen spelled it again and again and then began to pull Annie Sullivan, her teacher, all around the yard, spelling out words, ground, porch, dog, light. It became a parade, a victory parade of breakthrough. Helen Keller's dark and silent world came to life. And it was all because of Annie Sullivan's persistence to communicate to her. This is the story of Christmas. Christmas celebrates a similar moment for you and for me and for all of humanity. God breaking through into our silence, into our darkness with his light and his love. God was the resolved pursuer, the teacher, the communicator, and we were the persistent runners and avoiders, misinterpreting his attempts, thinking that God was angry with us, running from God. Some of us here in the room tonight continuing to run from him and misunderstand. We resist, God persists. He loves us too much to give up on us. He will not leave you alone in your darkness and your depression and your silence. And so he became one of us to communicate his love and his life and his, and his great mercy for us. Christmas, dear friends, is the true story. Hear this. Christmas is the true story of God's persistence to overcome all obstacles so that he could communicate his love for you. And he continues to do so today. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and the first part of verse 2, long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through prophets. And now, in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son, through Jesus. What does this mean? It means that God was the Annie Sullivan in our story. 
he spoke to our ancestors, people that have come before us throughout time in many different ways, persistently communicating his love and life to us. And he did it in a number of different ways, many unorthodox ways. He did it through a burning bush, a pillar of fire. He did it through someone being swallowed by a great fish. Do you remember that? He did it through handwriting on a wall when there was no body. He did it through different people and prophets. But the greatest communication of God to us of all time, the headline, the exclamation mark was Christmas. God sending his very son to us and speaking his love and his life to us. And as we think about the Christmas story that you just heard from Luke chapter 2, that's the story. As we think about this, this story, there's many different characters, just like there were many different prophets and people that came before Jesus that spoke the story to us, that were persistent in teaching us about God's love. I want to highlight one of those characters tonight, just one. And I'm going to guess that it's a character that you've never heard their perspective. You've never heard their version of the Christmas story because all the characters of Christmas are telling the same story of God's love and life for you. This is the Christmas story from the perspective of Bethlehem. If Bethlehem were a speaking character in the story, and I believe it is, the very place that Jesus was born, what would it say to us? Have you ever wondered why was Jesus born in, at that time, what was a, a village, an out-of-the-way village with maybe a few hundred people that occupied it, why would the king of kings, the son of God, be born in a dark, dank cave manger in a place called Bethlehem? If Bethlehem were a speaking character in the Christmas story, what would it tell us tonight about Jesus? This one that came to persistently communicate God's love with us. Well, let's start with why Bethlehem. And you heard it in the story. Bethlehem was the city of whom? David. And who was David? David was the greatest king at the high water mark of Israel. And the people of Israel revered him as their greatest king ever. And yet, in the scriptures, David himself communicates that there will be one that sits on my throne that will reign forever. And so this is, of course, a word about Jesus hundreds of years before he was born. It was a prophecy about him. In Micah chapter 5, Micah is a prophecy in the Old Testament. Chapter 5, verse 2, it names the little village of Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah, of the one that we call Jesus. So this is why Bethlehem, it was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament that one would come and sit on King David's throne and rule and reign forever. A king of kings, if you will. And both Mary and Joseph, maybe you know this, both Mary and Joseph, although they were young and they were poor, and we know that through their sacrifice that they offered in the temple when they dedicated Jesus, oftentimes families would bring a lamb to sacrifice. They couldn't afford a lamb, so they brought two birds. And only the poorest of poor were allowed to bring anything other than a lamb, and Mary and Joseph wore. What does this tell us about them? They were young, they were poor, they didn't have anything. Why would they journey to Bethlehem? Because they were both in the line, the lineage, the family of King David. Not just Joseph, Mary was too. They were both in the line of David. 
And of course, this is the family that, that God chooses for his son to be born into, to be in the lineage and line of David. But why specifically, do you remember? Why they had to go to Bethlehem on that night? Why would a young couple who doesn't have any money take a road trip when she was nine months pregnant? Guys, have you tried that before? Don't try it. Why would you take your young wife 70 miles? That was the distance, 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there's no Uber, right? There's, there's no light rail. You're on a donkey or you're walking. Can you imagine being almost nine months pregnant? Why did this happen? because they were experiencing occupation from a foreign power. And it was the superpower of the world, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire would conquer different places and they would take people that came from that land and they would uh, conscript them into service for taxes and for occupation and for dominance. And of course they take a census, why? Because they want more tax revenue. Some things don't change in the world. They want more taxes. So they want everyone to go back to their ancestral home. And we don't even know that Mary and Joseph have ever been to Bethlehem, but they go to Bethlehem because why? They're in King David's family. And again, the Roman Empire took this tax so that they could get military conscription from those that it applied to, but more money to form, to, to form and to make and to keep them the superpower of the world. So here's this young and poor couple that makes their way 70 miles from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. And of course, this becomes the very place where Jesus is born. And one of the things that I want to say to you, everyone watch this. God uses a broken empire, Rome, a corrupt, perverted empire that was all about power and dominance and somehow uses them in his timing for his son to be born into that family in Bethlehem. In other words, God can take the broken things of this world and use them for his purposes and for his good. And for some of you here tonight, this is the word that you need to hear. Because you find yourself trapped in a job that you don't want to be in, a situation that you don't want to be in, a circumstance of this world from someone else's power or some sort of dominance over you that you don't want to be in. And yet, God, I want to tell you right from the Christmas story, God can use the broken things of this world to accomplish his good purposes. He takes the Roman Empire census and he uses that for the reason for Mary and Joseph to journey 70 miles. They wouldn't have done it if it was up to them to go to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy for Jesus to be born there in that little village. But I want to teach you this. And this might be something that you've never heard of and I hope you'll never forget it. Maybe the most important thing about this character of Christmas called Bethlehem the location itself where Jesus was, was born is the name Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem is a compound word. It comes from two Hebrew words. And the two Hebrew words that form it are Bet-lehem, right? Bet-lehem. The word Bet means house. And the word Lehem in Hebrew means bread, so Bethlehem is the house of bread. Jesus was born in a bakery. He was born in the house of bread. And why is this important for who we understand Jesus to be? And maybe more importantly, why is that important for you tonight? Why is it important that you know the name Bethlehem, that it's the house of bread, and that's where Jesus was born? Well, let's fast forward, let's get in our time machine together and go 30 years forward from Christmas. Jesus is now 30 years old. 
and he's started his ministry publicly. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing people. And in John chapter 6, we see one of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever performed. It's the only miracle that's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you remember what it is? It's the feeding of the 5,000 which they only numbered men. I know, it's, don't, don't get mad at me, but that's what they did. There were probably somewhere between 20 and 25,000 people there. And Jesus multiplies five barley loaves. It's the only place where this story is found in John where it lists the type of bread that it was, barley bread. Why is that important? Because barley bread was the bread of the poor. It was the poorest of poor. And there's a little boy that has a, a lunchable of five pieces of barley bread and, or, and two fish, right? And Jesus takes that and he multiplies it. He takes it and he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it away. Which, by the way, that's the model for our lives too. God wants to bless us through his spirit, through his life. He wants to break us of our own will and give us away to other people. And that's what happens. And it's an incredible miracle. But then the sun goes down and the day ends. And then the sun comes up and the next day comes. And guess what? This whole group of people, let's just pretend we're in the, the audience, the group that was fed. They ate like they had never eaten before. And they want to find Jesus so they can eat again. And they find Jesus on the other side of the lake. And they basically say, hey, we're hungry again. We want another happy meal. We want you to feed us again. And Jesus sees right through that in John chapter 6. Go and read it for yourself. He, he, he says, the only reason why you're here is because I fed you physical food. And then he says this, guys, listen to this. He says, you should spend your energy speaking or, or seeking the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal. You, 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 you should spend your energy speak, thinking about things that are spiritual and not just, not just your physical hunger. And they're like, okay. But it's the first little tip in this very important conversation where Jesus is after something so much deeper than just physical need. That he's after something so much more for you than just your own physical needs. Because oftentimes, everyone watch this, oftentimes our physical needs, our desires, our wants, our longings are just the tip of the iceberg for something much deeper. We say, you know, well, I'm looking for a friend or I, I, I really need a job, but what I want is security. What I want is to be known. It's something so much deeper. Jesus sees far beyond the lunchable that he provided the, the day before. And he says, you should seek things that are, that are spiritual and eternal. And they say, mm, okay. And then they continue and they say, well, you know, why don't you perform another sign for us? Why don't you do what you did again or teach us to do it? And they basically say, why don't you teach us to do the trick that you did and then we'll just do it and feed ourselves. And isn't this just like us? Where instead of receiving the gift that God wants for us, we wanna take his power and use it for ourselves. So just teach me how you did that with the five loaves and two fish and then we'll be satisfied and we'll, we'll get out of your way, Jesus. And then finally, they say, if you really want us to believe you, Jesus, because he says, all you need to do to receive this gift that I have that meets your deepest need. And by the way, this is true for each of us tonight. All you really need to do to receive the gift of Christmas is to believe. John chapter 6, verse 30. 
the work of God is to believe. It's not your religiosity. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. You have to open up your hands and receive it and believe. And they listen to that. And this is their response. Everyone watch this. This, this very important conversation, maybe the one, one of the most important conversations in all of the Bible. They hear all of that and they say, basically, can you just give us some more food? Can you, can you show us another sign? And then we will believe in you. Can, the day before, Jesus has taken five barley loaves and two fish and multiplied them and fed everybody. And the next day they're saying, what have you done for us lately, Jesus? We're hungry again. So if you'll just give us another sign, then we'll believe. And they say, this is, this is rich. They say, our ancestors, when they were in the wilderness, God fed them through Moses. He gave them the bread of heaven and it came from Moses. And Jesus, you know, has had all he can take. And I wanna read Jesus's response. And here's how I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it for you. I want you to hear it for your need. I want you to hear it for the thing that you're longing for in your heart tonight. I want you to hear Jesus's words to you. This is what he says, John chapter six. I'm just gonna read a couple of verses. Verses 32 through 35, he says, I tell you the truth. Now when Jesus says that, you gotta sit up. I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. Let me just correct that right now, Jesus is saying. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's he talking about? Himself. And they say, sir, give us this type of bread the true bread from heaven that gives life and give it to us every single day. And Jesus says, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Anyone who believes in me will never hunger again. Wow. Jesus wasn't talking about their physical hunger, was he? We'll eat a meal tonight and we'll get hungry again tomorrow. Jesus says, if you eat of this bread, you'll never be hungry again. You remember the old song that says, every heart is a hungry heart? Every heart is hungry and Jesus knew that. And that's why he came to offer us the true bread from heaven that not just meets our physical needs, our momentary needs, but our deepest needs, our deepest longing. So let's get in our time machine again and fast forward 2000 years to right here to your heart, to your need, to your longing. What is the thing in your life that you're most longing for, your deepest desire to be known, to be forgiven, to be accepted, to be seen, for someone to be with you and to journey with you? All of us have needs, every single one of us. And this is why Jesus came. We resisted and many of us still resist but God persisted. He would not give up on you. And that's the reason for Christmas. And that's the reason that Jesus was born in this little teeny village 
called Bethlehem, the, the house of bread, to become the bread of life for you and for me. There was a man named Philip Brooks in 1865 that was on his way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, about a five-mile journey. And that night as he journeyed to Bethlehem, he began to think about the story that we just heard together and the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he began to write down words, these beautiful words. Maybe you, maybe you remember them. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Every character of Christmas is telling the story of God's love for you and for me. Even the little town of Bethlehem, the house of bread that gave birth to the bread of life. To Christ be the glory. I'm going to invite you to just quietly respond to the words that you've heard wherever you are tonight, whatever your need is, whatever you're trusting and asking God for, whatever you're longing for, you know. And I wanna give you the opportunity just in your seats to listen to the words of this beautiful Christmas hymn. And maybe as you listen to them, that you would begin to respond with your own prayer to God tonight, O little town of Bethlehem. <laughs>